the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Alec Perry and this is Thrill of the Hill. In today's episode, I sit down with SEC Beef Specialist Leslie Wiley, based out of the Forfer office in the Northeast, and we discuss the issues around beef finishing systems, increasing productivity, tackling climate change, and the role of grazing livestock in maintaining biodiversity in Scotland. Hi, Leslie, how's it going? Good, thank you. Leslie, you've been kind enough to, to come on and talk to, uh, to Thrill of the Hill uh, for this year. Let me just start off. Can, can you give us a bit of an introduction to the kind of work that you do, Leslie, and the, the kind of clients that you work with? Um, so I'm a beef consultant with SEC Consulting um, based in the Forfer office. My work's quite varied, um, can involve looking at rations, um, a little bit of article writing for press and for our own uh, for our own use in presenting at a lot of meetings and working on various projects with Scottish government and other bodies. Um, I've currently got funding for a UIF project looking at finishing cattle margins um, and how farmers can help themselves with that. I'm hoping to develop a benchmarking group with that, so that's keeping me quite busy at the moment. And you're here to talk to us today about finishing cattle and how they play into the farmed upland environment, climate change, biodiversity decline, and kind of general herd resilience. Would you say that finishing is the kind of topic that you spend the majority of your time working on? Um, probably about half my time. I still spend a good a lot of time um, looking at the suckler, the suckler herd um, side of side of the beef industry, and um, and just general mixed farms as well. Um, so there's a good there's a good mix. Before this current job, I was a procurement officer for ABP in Perth, um, selecting cattle for dead weight, and so that's probably where my finishing knowledge comes from. Good. Good stuff. And uh, Leslie, we can't really avoid the elephant in the room with the, the beef sector, um, the same kind of issues that, that affect uh, sheep, dairy um, and the various other sectors this year. The Brexit trade deal was, was a big issue for a lot of farmers. Um, do you feel that having this Brexit trade deal um, is is uh, broadly positive for the for the beef industry and uh, you know can you discuss what your general feelings are about it and, and what the sector is looking like going forward? Yes yeah, so earlier on we were obviously concerned about a no deal Brexit um, and as, you, as you're maybe aware of the, the UK is not self-sufficient in beef production we're about 75 percent self-sufficient so we we have to import some beef at some point the challenge with the no deal brexit was whether it was going to open up other markets other than the countries already import to us you know such as like argentina australia um some of the, some of those southern hemisphere countries um so the way the deal has gone at the moment won't actually change a lot for us 
in the in the next two years maybe um, it'll just maintain the same the biggest challenge at the moment with it is that the the processors are finding a challenge with the increased paperwork for their exports into the EU but that doesn't tend to affect the farmers as such I think as producers we're always a bit wary of imports undercutting us and, and flooding our market um, because of our higher cost of production in this country compared to the likes of South America. But actually, when you look at what these other countries are doing, you know, Argentina, Australia, they're focusing on trade closer to home. So they're looking to grow their their access into like the Chinese market. You know, we're we're in a sense too far away from them to worry about at the moment. There's there's a bigger population for them to target in Asia before they look to come to us. Um, so we have to take that as a positive at the moment. If there had been a no deal, the beef price would have probably risen quite dramatically in the short term, just probably because there would be a lack of imports coming in and, and the demand would outstrip the supply. The challenge with this all, always in the, in the beef trade is that when the price, the price increases to a certain point, the consumers then switch to a cheaper protein and then the beef price falls back. You know, it's a supply and demand problem. Um, so we're quite lucky, and as I say, that nothing's really changed as such for how we operate as beef farmers in this country at the moment. My concern would be going forward, the UK government doesn't seem to have a problem with outsourcing its food supply. Um, and this, this Brexit deal that we've got is opening up further trade negotiations with other countries, America and such like, and it's there's always the concern that they might welcome in products of a lesser welfare standard um, than ours. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see what, what's going to happen going forward with that. But that, at the moment, I, I would say in the short term, we're quite stable with it. But but going forward, there would be concerns as to, as to what countries they want to do trade deals with. Yeah, and, and that's that's always been a, a really contentious issue. You know, we don't want Scotland or, or the UK to compromise productivity in in pursuit of some kind of climate change goal, whereby we end up in a position where we might look great on paper from a carbon sequestration point of view or a, or a greenhouse gas emissions point of view, but in reality, we end up importing from, from other countries, which, as you say, have a reduced standard uh, in terms of animal welfare or quality of the, the product. Yes, exactly. We can't just outsource outsource food and then pretend that there's no, you know, climate impact on that um, and basically, you know, wash our hands of any responsibility. I think we really need to look at what we can do at home with regards to that and and you know, produce what we can at the best that we can. And we know we've got a good product and there, there's there's a want for it out there. But as I say, the government seems to be driven by a cheap food agenda, which is a challenge. So Leslie, the idea behind the podcast series is that we discuss the hot topics that are affecting the farmed upland environment. So in this episode, I'd really like to dig into some of those issues that are facing um, finishing cattle producers. Can you lay out what the situation is between store and, and finishing? Give us a breakdown of the, the terminology and just kind of flesh out what you think these, these issues could be for, for finishing herds in Scotland. 
Okay, so so the finishing cattle are the cattle that are towards the, you know, they've, they've gotten to a certain weight, I would say above 500 kilos, and they're ready to put on, um, to grow rapidly and add a lot of meat to their frame and optimize their fat cover uh, for slaughter. So they're in their final stage that compared to wean calves and store cattle. At present, the store cattle trade from wean calves up to about 500 kilo forward stores is very good. They're, they're making a good trade. And as far as I'm aware, that's that's due to supply, not meeting the demand. You'll be aware we've seen an ongoing reduction in the suckler herd in Scotland for the last five, if not more years. And that's finally coming to a point where you can see the numbers are not there. So the main issues facing cattle finishers at present is, is the high cost of these store cattle. Because there's less of them available, they are having to, to pay a bit more for them which is just squeezing their margin even more. So the challenge on that is that many of the meat processors have introduced a lower weight limit of around 400 kilos dead weight. Um, and historically, if, if store cattle were more expensive, the finisher would just continue to put more weight on the finished animal in order to, to come out of how much they'd paid for the, the store animal. But now with these weight limits, once you go over the weight limit, there's, a, there's quite harsh penalties. So the, the margin really is squeezed for finishers in that sense. The, one of the challenges leading on from the weight limit is one that goes back to store producers. Some of the types of the cattle that are being produced just want to grow and grow and grow. And um, a lot of the finishers, you know, they say that they, they struggle to get enough cover on them to meet the, the processor spec, um, which can cause a reduction in their end value. And they'll continue to eat a lot of feed and, and still not get finished. So so they're a costly article to have. So it's just making sure that the the type of cattle that are getting produced are are gonna meet what the market needs going forward. Again with store cattle, the age and size at which these store cattle are sold are important to finishers. There's various different uh, type of finisher, um, you can get a short keep finisher who basically keeps the cattle for about 100 days. Um, so they're looking for 500 kilo type, um, 500 kilo type cattle to go on to a really energy dense diet and and finish quite quickly. And then there's there's guys there looking for younger younger weaned calves and lighter store cattle that could go outside to grass for a summer before they're finished. So there really is a a market for each of these types of stores, depending on what would suit some of the upland producers. One of the challenges with stores is finished cattle are penalized when they reach 30 months of age. So ideally the cattle have to be slaughtered by this age. So you've got two challenges there. One is some of those bigger growthier cattle struggle to have enough cover and be ready to kill by 30 months. And also some of the more native breeds such as the Highlander, they need a long time to, to reach that finish, um, finishing weight and and standard. And it's just, it's a challenge for them. And, the, and they're suited to the upland environment, but the, they struggle with the age limit for slaughter. What what are some of the, uh, some of the solutions to these problems then? You mentioned native breeds there. Should we be going down the route of, of more native breeds? Um, is, is it a question of, of, of rations and, and, and feeding, nutrition, or, or 
like you say, you, you mentioned the, the issues with the store supply of cattle. What, in your opinion, is a, is a way around that? So in terms of the these cattle, these store cattle going on and uh, producing the goods for the finishers, ration, uh, ration is important from the finishers' point of view. They have to get their ration right to get these cattle to perform. From a breeder's point of view, they need to look at the type of cattle that will grow reasonably fast in their earlier life, but have a kind of limit on that growth so that they don't just grow and grow and also have the that kind of easy fleshing and ability to lay down fat. So there, you know, there's certain ways in when you're selecting your bulls and looking at your cows that you're mating, you know, to, to get that kind of make sure they're not getting too big. Um, but I don't think in an upland environment, I don't think cow size on the larger end is particularly a problem. And then on the native side, sorry, you asked about natives. On the native side, I think the native cow or, or a touch of native breeding within the cow is is very useful um, to provide, you know, a hardiness. You know, especially in these upland environments, these cows, they, they need to be quite hardy. They, they perhaps are outwintered. Um, you know, they're up on higher ground, they're on probably lesser quality forage. So they need they need to be hardier, probably harder working cows um, than some of the continentals. So they need that they need that native in them, they need that extra bit of fat cover um that those native cows bring just just so that they perform perform well in that environment. I think certainly, Leslie, my perception of finishing has been or, or maybe it's a trope of finishing that, um, you know, you get them in the shed and you feed a lot of barley and a lot of concentrates and you really hammer home the, the weight on them. But from what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, the, provided you've got the right cow, finishing at grass in the uplands is not necessarily an issue. It depends on how upland you're going. <laughs> but... I think I think there is opportunities with certain breeds of cattle to finish at grass. It's it's more difficult now with some of the continental breeds to finish at grass. To be honest, they seem to need an uh, a a cereal a high cereal diet towards the end to get enough cover on them. Um, but th there is you know ways around that. Certainly, the rotational grazing aspect has improved grass finishers you know, systems that has helped them get those cattle to perform at grass. In an upland environment, it would depend on the quality of the grass available and probably the breed of the cattle as to how well they would finish. Um, the biggest challenge with, up, you know, towards the uplands would be whether they're, they're having to buy in a lot of their, their inputs, their straw, their feeding, that kind of thing, because that, that really will eat away at the, the margin, whereas you know, if they sell them store or as suckled calves, it takes the pressure off that housing feed bedding, you know, that occurs just before calving time again. You know, you have to weigh up what, you know, what availability you've got, you know, um, in terms of shed space and feed as to whether you would attempt to finish, you know, on your unit or whether you would be better to sell them as stores and, and just take the pressure off. Um, but yeah. certainly there there is guys doing a good job of finishing cattle on some of the upland areas, but they do they do have a good good quality forage there. Um, you know they've worked at their grass, um, but they 
they do tend to need that serial aspect towards the end um, just to finish just to finish them off and Leslie just to kind of move in a different direction here we know that the beef industry is coming under a lot of pressure right now to tackle um, greenhouse gas emissions and to play a constructive part in the fight against biodiversity decline. What do you see as the responsibility of the beef sector with regards to, to those issues? I think we'll have to admit that the, there is emissions from, from the beef herd. Um, yes, we are, we are part of an ecosystem and, and there's a life cycle that goes on there that we need um, we need the cattle or the cattle certainly play a good part in that. Um, from the greenhouse gas emissions, I think there's room within each of our businesses to look at where the inefficiency is um, and there's a, there's a chance there to, to reduce the emissions. You'll never get the emissions down to zero and we possibly don't want that. But the biggest driver of the emissions in the beef herd at the moment tends to be this empty, unproductive cow um, and carrying these cows that they, they produce methane, but they don't produce any beef. Um, and that's, you know, where we need to, we need to really focus on, on that. Um, and that would have a big impact on the emissions coming from, from the beef herd. And, and by doing that, you would also help improve your bottom line. You know, you're not calving this cow for nothing. You know, it, it costs a lot to keep a cow for a year. And if she's not actually giving you a calf or anything sellable out of it, apart from herself, you know, she's not worth having. So from that point of view, that's, you know, I think we really do need to take it seriously. And I think from a government point of view, it seems to be the way they're going with any support coming, you know, in the future for the sector. Um, I think it will be driven on an, a, green, a green agenda. You know, there's targets out there from the government to reduce emissions. Um, quite greatly in the coming years. Um, so I think we need to we need to take it seriously and, and do what we can. And if it can help reduce our our costs as well, because a lot a lot of the emissions um or certainly the carbon footprints on farms comes from bought in feed and bought in fertilizer. So if we look at our systems and see what we could change, we could maybe reduce our costs as well. So we would benefit from that point of view as well. So Leslie, I think you make a really good point there about targeting inefficiencies within the herd. Ruminant livestock in particular have been kind of targeted uh, for their negative impacts to, to climate change with regards to, to methane emissions. Where do you stand on the climate change issue and creating this climate efficient herd? And, you know, if you were to give your kind of top tips for for um, identifying inefficiencies within the herd, what would they be and, and where would you start? Okay, so I think it is, as I said before, I think it is important that we consider it. And it does, it does by targeting these inefficiencies, we should be able to, to try and make our businesses more profitable. Um, so the main, the main thing is, as I said, the, the empty suckler cow. Um, so we really need to look at the fertility of our cows. Why are we giving her a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance? We need to be quite hard on that. Um, we need to start looking at whether we're, we have a lot of calving difficulties and are they leading to struggling to get those cows in calf the next year? Again, gestation length, um, you know, are we are we going for longer gestation lengths and ending up with calves that are too big? So, so on that side of things, 
you know, that's that's a way to start looking at your fertility. Another way to reduce your emissions um, is to calve your heifers slightly younger um, at two years instead of three, but this does not suit all systems and it may be in your upland system it actually suits your cows or your heifers to calve at three just to get them that bit bigger and, and hardier for the environment they're going into so um, you know I won't push too much on that one as I said before the the fertilizer and the feed inputs so the more you can improve your grassland and your homegrown forage um, the better from that point of view that that's a definite a definite one and um, another one of the challenges is to reduce the age of slaughter um, because looking at it basically the longer an animal is on your holding the more methane it emits so therefore for a finishing animal the less time it's on a holding the better um, but there's, there's challenges with that and depending on it, it very much depends on your system um, and certainly for upland systems I think the more natural they can be and the less pushed they can be, the better, um, because then they need less inputs. So that, that's probably where I stand on that. Good, good. And uh, cattle have been acknowledged by Scottish government uh, and, and various other groups as being beneficial for their, their impact on upland habitats. Where do you stand on cattle as conservation grazers? Um, and from a finishing perspective, is that a good use of time or is that really a job for the store side of things? I think um, the conservation grazing thing is is a really good way. And it's certainly there, there are certain breeds out there that are really well suited to that to that job, you know, that can handle that, I suppose, lesser quality forage that that kind of conservation grazing land would give you. Yeah, definitely more a cow job than a than a finishing job. I think the finishers, the finishing cattle really need that higher quality forage, kind of rocket fuel type stuff, and um, and as I said before, a little bit of cereals to really to really get them finished properly. Some of the slower growing cattle, again, I go back to the Highlanders. You know, they can finish off grass in that kind of conservation environment. And there, there are markets for that. The challenge is just not in a mass volume. But yeah, I definitely think it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good advert for beef production. These conservation grazers as well. You know, it just shows that we're we're giving back to the environment. You know, they're they're playing an active role in looking after looking after the land. And it's kind of, um, you know, uh, thinking more along the lines of your Highlanders and your Aberdeen Anguses. They are synonymous with the kind of Scottish landscape. So I, mm -hmm. I do think that there's a, there's a role for them to play there, not only in producing that high quality product, but from a public perception point of view, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think now more than ever, we really need to work on our communication with our consumer and anything that we can do to highlight to them the good work that we are doing um, as beef producers and how we're looking after the land and how we're producing this quality product, the better. I think COVID has shown us that there there is a demand for locally produced food and British food. And I think we just need to really communicate really well what, what we're doing and, and showcase it because I think there, there is a there's a market for it out there.
And Scottish Government have indicated that they are interested in, in very much promoting the public good aspects of agriculture. So, I mean, like, like you say, um, the ability to put forward a, a good story, particularly on, on the climate change and biodiversity fronts, um, is uh, something that we should be working towards. Definitely. It's, it's just so important that we can get that narrative out there. Um, I know, I mean, we've just come out of January and everybody talks about the vegan aspect of January. But in reality, we should be focusing on keeping the people that continue to buy our product wanting to buy our product. The vegan, the vegan aspect will always be there, but it, it is a minority compared to who actually buys meat. And if we can continue to engage with the people that want to buy our product and look after them and, and, and listen to what they want, then we can keep developing developing this industry. Do you know, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Latin America, Argentina, Brazil, and uh, kind of international competitors. I, uh, I had a chat with, uh, with an Argentinian um, a, a number of years ago now, but uh, I did bring up the the potential risk um, for for our domestic industry by having um, this this Argentinian beef coming into into the UK, and his response was really interesting. It was that you know I I, I would be paraphrasing, but it, it's essentially let us feed the world and and you produce that high quality product, um, so that there there may or may not um, be that uh, that kind of competition there maybe it is that we're, we're targeting different markets as such yeah i think in a way you're right scotch beef is at its biggest value when it's its furthest from home so the export market to us is it's not huge but the actual value of what we're sending out is quite high but i don't think that means that we need to neglect our home market i think there's a huge population on our doorstep that needs fed and has money to buy the food. So, you know, there's, we really, I think we need to concentrate on closer to home too. Cause I think, I think now more than ever, we're all aware of shopping local and how that can input our own carbon footprints. That should help develop some of the local market a bit more. But I think you're right. There's, there's countries out there who can mass produce beef to a level that we can't dream of and at a cost that is a fraction of ours. But do we want to compete with that? I, I don't know. I don't think we do. I think we've got a better story to tell than that. So last year, Leslie, we had beef consultant uh, Robert Ramsey on, and he was talking a little bit about um, beef upland grazing strategies and really getting more cows out on the hill. And at the time, I asked him um, a very tricky question, which he manoeuvred very well, which was, where do you stand on the native versus continental question? So um, I'm going to be unfair to you, uh, and I'm going to ask you the same question. I believe that there's a place for both. I think they, they both bring different things, different qualities to the table. Um, in terms of the native, you just can't beat their hardiness. And, you know, they're, they're such good mothers. And, you know, what they can... Some of these native cows producing, and you put a continental bull on them, the, the calves are producing and the weights they're getting those wean calves at is, you won't get them, anybody else doing a better job. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, I think the natives, 
we we need that cross a native in our cows, I think, um, just to keep a check on possibly um, mature size and just to keep the milk clear. And we can always benefit from hybrid vigor, no matter what breed we're working with. And I think we'll have to be mindful of that um, because the, the benefits you can get from hybrid vigor in terms of growth and milkiness in your females is, is something that we're, you know, you, you hear about people having these kind of, oh, my, my heifers aren't milking terribly well, or, you know, there's, there's not enough milk on these cows. And a little bit of hybrid vigor one way or the other will make such a difference. And sometimes it's just perhaps the touch of native in some of these harder continental types. And seeing that the continentals, they, they work well in a lowland system. The, the one concern with some of them is that they, they are getting too big. Um, really, the, the mature size on some of them are are too big for what we really need. Um, but I couldn't pick one over the other. <laughs> Do you think, Leslie, that there's been a shift in the breeds that people are using? Are people moving towards native? Are people moving towards continental? I think there, there's a definite shift, I think, in the use of natives. I think there's definitely a resurgence of certain native breeds. For various reasons, I mean, um, some of them as retailers have these these breed uh, bonuses. So, you know, you've got the Aberdeen Angus schemes, you've got the, the Shorthorn schemes, O'Morrison's, and, and that can help drive the bull sales of those native breeds. Um, but in terms of people breeding their own replacements, I think there is a, there is a, a certain number of people going back into more native cows, possibly looking to outwinter their cows and, and these, as I say, these native cows just just a little bit hardier can can handle those kind of winters out on on lesser forage. And you know we're asking all this continued efficiencies, and and a lot of these native cows tick a lot of boxes. They need less inputs possibly um, than than some of the continental cows. It it very much is dependent on your system and and what your end market is, and what works for you might not work for somebody else. But you you've got to know what you want to do and know hopefully what will work on your particular setup. Yeah, yeah. So, Leslie, just, just shifting topic again here. We saw last year there was a great uptake in the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant Scheme. Do you feel that enough beef farmers in Scotland made use of that grant? Did, did you have much participation in, in the grant scheme? And are you optimistic about the long-term impact of, of the grants? Is that something that you would like to see continued? I thought the scheme was I thought the scheme was actually quite a good idea. Um, the challenge with all these schemes tends to be that the farmers that that take part in it, that uptake on it, they tend to be the guys that are already doing similar things. You know, they maybe would have already bought that calving gate or they maybe already have a little bit of EID on their farm and they were wanting to invest in a wee bit more, you know, stuff for that. And quite often the guys that you really want to use it, that should be using it, they just don't, they're not interested. Um, so there's a challenge there to get some of these guys more interested in doing this because they would benefit the most from these, from these items within this scheme. You know, in an ideal world, from a beef perspective, it would be great if every farm had a set of weigh scales, um, because it, the 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 potential that they could maximise in their cattle from knowing what they weigh and how they're performing or how they're not performing could really make a difference to their bottom line. 
I do think, though, had the cattle EID situation been, you know, rolled out, you know, as we were expecting pre-COVID, that Scott EID was to roll out the, the EID, you know, we would have been on these tags and, and that. I think there probably would have been more of an uptake on some of that EID equipment. Um, but I mean, there's there's room for that going forward. But I just think there's there's so much potential with this technology, and and a lot of the equipment, you know, a calving gate gate is a great piece of kit, just just for safety alone, you know, because so many people are working on their own. It's 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 a great bit of kit for helping with that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pleased with the numbers that did uptake, but I think I think there's definitely room for improvement going forward. Good. Good. Do you know, I, I spoke recently with Kirsten Williams. Um, you and I are, are both familiar and, and work with Kirsten. Um, and I think she uh, she really honed in on the potential benefits to, to labour um, and, and, and safety. I think that uh, she talked an awful lot about the use of cameras and, and mm -hmm. just being smarter about the way that we're working. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I do think that there's uh, there's been some some impact there. So, Leslie, we've just spoken about taking steps to improve herd productivity. In terms of resilience, what are the issues impacting the beef sector right now, and, and how can farmers get over them? Okay. Um, in terms of the, the suckler cows um, producer, I think we'll have to aim to get the most live calves on the ground to start with, um, and, and working from that. Um, I've said numerous times before, Carrying cows that are not producing calves is just pouring money down a drain. So the cows need to work for you. Um, so alongside that, having an understanding of your costs and the physical performance that your farm has at the moment allows you to monitor it and, and make changes and, and monitor those changes going forward to hit the targets that you set applicable to your business. Um, going with that, understanding you, what your market wants, whether it be the specification of the finished cattle to avoid penalties or the optimum weight to sell your stores at. By speaking with your buyer and auctioneer and building a relationship with them, you can become more aware of changes that are coming in the market and allow yourself the opportunity to maximise the potential of your cattle. Um, some of the main issues impacting the beef industry at the present is, is the Price of store cattle, as we've spoken about. Um, the outlook for feed prices looks challenging. Soy is currently at £500 a tonne. Um, and if feed costs account for around 70% of your variable costs, um, this really does put pressure on the margins. Um, so, it, you know, it's worth look, looking at other, other feed sources. Um, the one good thing is the finished cattle price has been reasonably steady for the last six months or so, but that's come on the back of a challenge in 18 months of low prices. Um, so, you know, these finishers have got a lot to recoup to to help after the, that difficult time. Um, we've spoken about the reduction in the numbers of store cattle coming forward, and that then means a reduction in the finishers coming forward. And demand seems to be good at the moment for beef. So. The finished price should hold up in the short to medium term, which is which is positive, which is you know good. And the only other thing affecting the the beef industry or coming into play from this year was that um, from 
January this year, all male dairy calves um, born on a dairy that was in a milk contract with any retailer are no longer allowed to be euthanized. So they are to be put into the beef production system, um, which will obviously increase um, numbers coming forward from that. So from a from a suckler beef perspective, the challenge that brings is that these dairy beef from the dairy herd, they're very uniform and they're within this target weight range that, that the processors push for. So we have to be mindful as suckler producers that we are trying our hardest to meet what the market is asking for. Um, and that I think that's one way we can address that challenge. I'm just going to bring bring the podcast um, to, to a bit of a close here. And I do ask this question to, to everybody who comes on. So is there anything that you've seen within the industry that's happening relatively recently that you think more people should be paying attention to? Any good practice, any innovative ideas, anything you want to really draw focus to? Um, I think there's a, there's a few areas which I think would would be good to progress with or, or would certainly be worth a lot of people thinking about. Um, and I've mentioned a few of them already, you know, engage with engage with the public, tell them your story. Um, it's unbelievable what difference it can make to the demand for a product if, they, if the consumer can connect, connect with you. Um, and I think, you know, in Scotland, we've got such a good story about our cattle, um, you know, about the high standards are produced to the quality of them and, and how we look after the land that they're on. And I think that really counts for something. And if we can try and communicate that to the consumers, that that'll help drive that home market for us. Um, you know, there's some great examples of people that are doing that on, on social media. I mean, that's social media has been a great way for, for farmers to connect to the public. So that that's really good. As you've mentioned before, the, the new technology or some of the technology that's available, the cameras um, and such like, you know, for calving and such, you know, you can just, it saves on labour and it helps the cow get on with the job herself without you interfering too much. It takes a lot of pressure off. You know, I think we should embrace a lot of these new things, especially when there is less people on farm. Um, we need we need to be careful with things and, and there's a lot of options out there that can help us with farm safety. The rotational grazing has obviously made quite a comeback. And I think any improvements you can make in your grasslands um, will be to your benefit. Um, because I think there is going to be pressure on feed feed availability and you know fertilizer costs everything like that will change and i think the more that we can look after the ground and and get that kind of return from our grass in an in a less intensive way would be better brilliant well thanks very much leslie for coming on and uh, on behalf of the farm advisory service uh, it's uh, it's been really good to to sit down and have a chat with you okay well thank you very much for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of Thrill of the Hill, part of Scotland's Farm Advisory Service podcast. If you have any questions about any of the content covered here today, please do not hesitate to get in touch at 0300 323 0161 or contact us by email at advice at faz.scot.